0: Bible, and if you need a Bible to follow along with us, I think there may be a Bible or two up on the front platform, so, anyway, anybody need a Bible? We'll make sure you get one, all right? Okay, all right, everybody set? My trusty helper must be caught up somewhere, so, all right, So everybody set? Second... Chronicles chapter 31 is where we're going to be tonight While you're turning there, just a couple quick announcements um, As I mentioned to you, this is the last Wednesday night service of 2013 Because next week uh, we will have our Christmas Eve service on Tuesday We have an early service at noon And I know a number of you are going to come to that Because you've got to travel in the afternoon and in the evening to go see family So it works out real good So we're going to try that noon service, so it's a family service, and then at 4 o'clock we'll have a service as well. Both of them family services, same service, Christmas Eve on Tuesday, December 24th, as we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. Invite somebody. There uh, should be some extra flyers that are out there on the information desk uh, for you to take. There's some in your bulletins, and your assignment I gave to you Sunday is the same as tonight you have to invite somebody to Christmas Eve service, all right? And um, and um, we just want to be able to share with them the giving of the Son uh, to us, to this world, and, um, and to be able to celebrate that and proclaim that. Uh, one of the things that um, somebody was uh, asking me on Sunday, they said, um, do you, on Christmas Eve, and they're, they're new, uh, do you um, kind of give an evangelistic or... Uh, you know, message, and and I was t- teasing him a little bit, and, you know, do you, you know, teach from the Bible on Christmas Eve? And I said, do I always teach from the Bible? Of course I do. And uh, we'll talk about why Jesus came, and, and, of course, we're going to proclaim the gospel um, just because um, he's so used to productions and everything that go on Christmas Eve. So uh, we're going to be in a section of Scripture on Christmas Eve that I don't know if I've ever taught from before. It's not going to be from Matthew uh, chapter 1. Uh, it's not going to be from Luke chapter 2. So you've got to come and see what I'm going to teach from as we talk about Jesus coming to this world. Um, so anyway, we're looking forward to that. This Sunday we'll be in First Thessalonians chapter 3 as we continue our study in that epistle. And uh, Paul's going to continue to be talking to them about when he came to them. And he's going to be encouraging them, and um, he's going to speak about their love. And it's going to be a rich portion of Scripture that we're going to look at on Sunday, 8.30 and 10.30, so come join us on Sunday. Then Christmas Eve services, no uh, services on Christmas Day, which is a week from today. Uh, It is only a week away. It's almost here, and um, so um, we won't have Wednesday night service next week. And then the following Sunday, on the 29th, I believe, the last Sunday of the year, we'll continue in First Thessalonians 8.30 and 10.30. And then on Tuesday, the 31st, uh, we will have our New Year's Eve uh, service, and um, the kids will be doing uh, December to Remember, and they'll be closing the year by uh, doing some fun things and um, kind of having an end-of-the-year kind of the year kinda, um, games and things like that. Um, the rest of us are going to be in here. We're going to do the prophecy update, and uh, so it's always a a wonderful thing to do, and uh, people look forward to that. We're going to be looking at what's going on uh, in the world that is pointing to the soon return of Jesus Christ, and there's plenty of it that is going on, so we'll try to narrow it down to uh, see what it is that we really should be looking for and at as we enter into 2014. Uh, Also, uh, New Year's Eve is going to be a special night as well, because we are going to have an ordination for two uh, individuals here that are going to be assistant pastors at Calvary Chapel, Greeley here, as we enter into the new year. James Clifford, and uh, who directs chess and, uh, and is a youth leader, and then John uh, Figs as well, as he's replaced Jim. So we're going to have cookies and some refreshments and a little party afterwards, so it's going to be a very special night, New Year's Eve. Again, invite friends out as we uh, go through the Word of God and as we close the year out uh, just worshiping the Lord. It's a great thing to be able to do on the last few hours of 2013. Um, and then we'll be back to our normal schedule. We will not have service on January 1st on that Wednesday. And then after that, we'll get back to Wednesday nights as we enter into 2014. We will be in um, Second Chronicles. We'll finish... Um, I could finish tonight, I guess, if I talk till about 11 o'clock, but we won't do that. Um, it'll probably take a couple weeks for me to finish Second Chronicles, and then we're going to go right into Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther and keep going through the Old Testament. So some wonderful st- uh, studies that are coming up uh, in, um, in Wednesday nights as uh, we enter into the, the new year 2014. Um, there's caroling that's going on for those of you signed up on Sunday, so all the information is there um, um, when they meet here at 3.45, and uh, some of them are going to meet to kind of go over some of the songs at 3 o'clock. So that's in your bulletin, and I don't know what else is there, I don't have one with me, but take a look at it, lots of things coming up, mostly remember uh, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve service. Also, a couple updates, Um, as a lot of you know, as we put on the prayer chain, uh, Sandy Sanders broke her leg on Sunday. And uh, she had surgery on Monday, and um, she is um, still in hospital. She had a little bit of complications uh, after her surgery, um, and um, they've had to give her some blood and um, a little concerned about some uh, clots, maybe blood clots in her lungs. But they're taking care of that. She feels a lot better. She is going to be in rehab. She cannot stand on that leg and put weight on it for 10 weeks. And uh, so, ladies, those of you that are waiting to hear about the lady study, that's on hold right now, and Sandy needs to get better. And, uh, you know, she, um, one of the things that she just slipped on a little piece of ice about this big, just a little tiny thing next to the curb, and, uh, you know, we do everything that we can to clear it off out there and make sure it's safe, and it was kind of just a freak thing that happened, and uh, Jerry let her off, and she just kind of came around and hit that little tiny patch of ice, and and, um, and uh, broke her femur right above her knee. So uh, we are just praying for her and Jerry, and, um, and we just want to extend our love, and uh, we'll keep you updated on that, and she is recovering in the hospital as we speak. So And probably going to be there for the next couple of days um, as they're just making sure that she's all ready to go, and then she's got a long rehab after that. So continue to pray for her. Also, we just want to pray for Shirley Estrada, her mom. Um, is in hospice right now. Um, hospice is taking care of her at home. And um, so we want to pray for Shirley as her mom is coming to the end of her life. And um, a and, uh, very, very sweet lady that loves the Lord, uh, Carmen. So I went and saw her the other day. And um, she's just a little tiny thing. And uh, she's so sweet. And uh, she's crying out in Spanish to the Lord. And uh, she's ready to go home. And, um, you know, I was just reading her scripture and praying with her, and and I said, I'm going to go now, Carmen. She said, where are you going? I said, to church, and she was trying to get out of bed so she can come to church. Isn't that sweet? And I want to remind you of something, because this week I've been reminded of it, that it really is a blessing a privilege for us to be here. And we don't always think about that, that that we can get into a car and come to church, and, and, um, you know, for some that can't, you know, Um, Sandy that's going to be recovering and and can't uh, be on that leg and and for uh, those who are uh, shut-ins and can't come um, they really miss being here and it's a blessing to be with the brethren and I hope that we never forget that that it's a blessing to to have brothers and sisters in the Lord that you can meet with and be with that we come together and we can edify each other and encourage each other and lift each other up and um, and you know, we're we're not the perfect church and never will be. But I'll tell you what, the Lord is working and there's love here. And we're going to continue in the word of God and growing in His love and loving each other. And and we're going to be loving Sandy and we're going to be loving everybody, you know, that, um, that comes into this place and proclaiming the good news of the gospel to them. And I hope that that's what we do. We keep the main thing the main things. And that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that we're one, coming together, striving together. And one heart and one mind and one spirit. So um, it just reminds me what a privilege it is and what a blessing for us to be at church and to be together with the brethren. And, and I, I know you guys know that. And um, may we never lose that in our lives. So be sure to look at uh, your bulletin. One of the things that Travis is going to be working on is after the first year to have live stream. And, um, and for those who can't make it to church or if you're sick, to be able to watch the service, the 1030 service, on Sunday, on live stream, and Wednesday nights as well. And that will be a tremendous blessing. But here's the thing. Never let that live stream substitute of you being here when you can be here. And uh, that temptation is very easy to stay in your pajamas on Sunday morning and not come to church. And um, and it isn't that God isn't going to love you, but you miss out. You really do. You miss out on the fellowship and being gathered with believers and it's the Word of God that says, Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the matter of some, especially as you see the day approaching. And guess what? We're seeing the day approach. The Lord's coming back. And how we need to be together and how we need to encourage each other and continue in the things of God. So let's do that tonight. Chapter 31 of Second Chronicles. Father, we ask that you would indeed just continue to touch Sandy and bless her. And she had a very severe break. And... Um, And, Lord, um, we feel, uh, we share her burden. And, Lord, we pray for your healing touch upon her, that um, as she's getting better, we pray that any complications uh, from the surgery or what she's going through would be cleared up here, that we thank you for such an incredible uh, medical staff that uh, uh, is available to to us in this community. And uh, we just pray for their wisdom and, and for their... Um, knowledge to be worked out in, in a wonderful way to help Sandy. And Lord, we pray for blessing for her and Jerry. And as she goes through recovery uh, over these weeks, that she would get strong and she would heal completely uh, from this broken leg. And Lord, we want to pray for Carmen. We know that she belongs to you. And um, a life that uh, has been... Um, one that testified of you and desired to worship you and love you, even in her last days here. And, Lord, as she's getting close to ending her journey, we know you can extend it. But, Lord, we also know she's ready to go home. And, Lord, so we pray for your will to be done. We pray for your comfort given to her and your presence felt. And, Lord, with surely as well, that you would bless her. And, Lord, that you would minister to her and strengthen her during this time and her family. And Lord, for those who perhaps come into this place tonight feeling afflicted, uh, going through difficulty or uncertainty, that maybe this isn't a time right now of joy and gladness and goodwill. But Lord, that we can in our hearts say that you're the source of all that, Lord, and we have you, the giving of your son, absolutely incredible. And Lord, I pray tonight would be a, a time of comforting and just instruction and edification to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, it is really incredible as you think about it as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And, you know, we go through the Christmas story every year in Luke chapter 2. And uh, we see in, in uh, Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2 the story of the Magi coming. And and what can happen is after a while it can kind of lose its impact on our lives, but uh, what I hope and pray that we never lose is, it's absolutely amazing that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That God would give his son to, to us born in Bethlehem and it is an incredible thing that, that he gave everything for us, his son. And then Jesus gave everything in going to the cross, being obedient to death, the death on the cross for you and for me that we might have forgiveness of sin and have the hope of heaven and and, and have right relationship with the Father. And as we really reflect on that, and and that's what I hope and pray, that every day that we would be thankful for the blessing, the spiritual blessings that we have, that we've been chosen and forgiven and redeemed, and we have an inheritance that comes from the Lord, all these things that are mentioned to us in the Scriptures. We have His promises, His Word, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and that He's going to bring us to completion, um, those of us who belong to Him. And so we do have reason to rejoice. We have reason to have real joy and gladness in our hearts. is because of the promises that are given to us and what his marvelous works um, have, you know, been declared and and proclaimed to us. And as we think about how the Lord has given to us, uh, I pray that we would give to him. And it would cause us to give to him from a heart of gratitude and love and and expression of, of our devotion to him. And that's really what we see here in chapter 31 is we've been looking at Hezekiah. Hezekiah comes on the scene in about 715 B.C. The ten northern tribes have already been taken off into captivity by the mighty Assyrians, and they've gone through difficult times. And Hezekiah came on the scene as well when the house of Judah down south was going through some some trials and hardships because his father Ahaz was one of the worst kings that Judah ever had. And Ahaz, as we saw that he was reigning, he would uh, plunge Judah deep, deep into idol worship and occultic kinds of practices. It was so bad that the house of Judah were bringing their children to sacrifice on the arms of Moloch there in the Gehenna Valley. And it was Ahaz that rebelled against the Lord and he dug in his heels. And even when the Lord was bringing judgment upon him, and Judah, he refused to turn to the Lord. He closed the house of the Lord. He had idols all over Jerusalem. So it was a very difficult time. The Edomites, the Philistines, the um, you Assyrians know, are, are coming. The Edomites had taken many off into captivity as well as the house of Israel and the Philistines. It was very, very hard on them. And Ahaz left the nation in such despair and hopelessness and here comes hezekiah and hezekiah was a godly king as we have read in the previous couple chapters and i believe that he was probably the best king with the exception of david that ruled in judah And what made him a great king and a blessing to the house of Judah is in the first month of his first year of his reign, he begins to make spiritual reforms. And he takes all the the, the garbage. He he has the priests and the Levites clean up the temple. All the garbage, all the the, uh, rubble and rubbish and idols out of the house of the Lord. They, they break down all the places of idol worship in Jerusalem, and he begins to do that right away. You see, they had been attacked by the Edomites, the Philistines, the Assyrians are coming from the south, which is the new powerhouse in the world. And Hezekiah could have said, the priority is that we need to fortify our cities. We need to uh, be strong militarily. We need to make sure that's the priority. But he made the priority, the spiritual um reforms and in opening up the house of the Lord, sanctifying the priests and the Levites, and then making that uh sure that the uh, temple worship and spiritual reform was happening in the land. And we saw last week that he would call for the Passover to be kept. And he set runners all throughout the house of Judah, the cities of Judah, and on up Uh, clear as far as Dan, up where the house of Israel was, the remnants that were there, he invited them to come celebrate the Passover. And that's what they did. And the Lord honored that. So Hezekiah kept that a priority, even though he did do other things that we're going to see here if we get there tonight. But as we continue, we see that he continues with the spiritual reforms and Chapter 31. Now, when all this was finished, in other words, after the celebration of the Passover, um, we read that all Israel who were present went out to, into the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images, and threw down high places in the altars from Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh that's up north where the house of Israel was until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, and every man to his possession. So there's a lot right here in verse 1 that we can learn from. After the celebration of Passover, and of course, Passover is where they would bring the Passover lambs and, and the sacrifices, and it was commemorate how the Lord brought them out of Egypt. And of course, we see the first Passover that was instituted there in Exodus chapter 12. And then following Passover was a week of celebration called the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where they would eat bread that was not made of leaven. And, of course, we talked about the significance and the symbolism of that, that Jesus Christ, he's the one that is uh, our Passover lamb, the perfect lamb of God who died on Passover for our sins. And now we have been brought out of Egypt, that is the world, because we've been saved, no longer in bondage to the world, in captivity to the world, but we have been freed from all that. We've been forgiven of sin. And so after this celebration and gladness of heart and worshiping of the Lord, we see that they go throughout the cities, all throughout the cities of Judah, and clear up into Ephraim and Manasseh, and they destroy all of the uh, places of Uh, high places and wooden images and sacred pillars all those places that were places of false worship and they didn't leave any of them it says that all of them that they would destroy them and i think there's a real important principle that is here for you and for me to to be able to have revival in our hearts We need to know and see and understand clearly what Jesus has done for us, how he's provided for us, the love that he proved to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And and sometimes what I will hear is teaching on, you got to tear this down and get rid of that. But first, make sure that you're always going back to the cross make sure that you understand his love for you and how much he's provided for you. And I think that's so critical for us to to not leave our first love, to not let that, what uh, Jesus did for you and for me, the love he demonstrated for us, to grow cold in our hearts. And as we see clearly him and know him and have devotion towards him, then you're going to get rid of the idols in your life. And so that's what we see is happening here. They get rid of the idols. And then second of all, we're going to see that they're going to give. And a person that loves the Lord is going to get rid of the idols out of their hearts and out of their lives. They're going to get rid of that which is false, the sacred pillars, the high places where those places of temptation, the one who really loves the Lord and is devoted to the Lord and is at awe of what the Lord did for them on Calvary's cross and always remembering the hope that we have in the Lord is the one that's going to do that, and then also is going to be one that's going to give to the Lord freely. And that's what we see here in the rest of the chapter. Let's continue to read it. And Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites according to their divisions, each man according to his service, the priests and Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings to serve, to give thanks and to praise in the gates in, of the camp of the Lord. And the king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offerings, for the morning and evening burnt offerings, and the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and the new moons and the set feasts, as it is written in the law of the Lord. So we see here that Hezekiah restores the support for the priests as they serve the Lord. Now you remember in the Old Testament law that the the law of God said that uh, the priests and the Levites will be provided for, and that was out in the wilderness. And the Lord said to the tribe of Levi, as he made the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, they were set in order to serve there at the tabernacle. And as they would go into the promised land, as you go into the book of Joshua, they were not given an inheritance. The Lord said, you're not going to receive an inheritance. I will be your inheritance. And what the tribe of Levi, what they received was 48 cities. All the other tribes would receive a big portion of land. And then the families would receive a portion of land, and that's where they would grow their crops and their uh, vineyards and orchards and have animals f- for grazing, and they would provide the- for themselves in that. Well, the Levites were appointed 48 cities throughout Israel, and they didn't have crops. They didn't have you know vineyards and all of this. So the rest of the tribes would support the tribe of Levi so they could focus on the ministry of the Lord, and as it is written in the law of the Lord. And verse 3 here tells some of their responsibilities that they were to do. Also, you recall that in First Chronicles, when we looked at David as he prepared for his son Solomon to build the temple, that it was David that he would make the divisions for the priests. Over time, from the time of the wilderness, you know, uh, 500 years later, the the population of priests and Levites had increased. So he made the divisions for the priests, and they would serve two weeks, and then they would minister in their own town. But again, they needed to be provided for in their families. So that's what Hezekiah is setting up once again, that the priests and the Levites would be provided for, that Jerusalem and Judah was to to give so they would have that provision and their families so they can concentrate on doing the ministry there at the house of the Lord. We continue reading in verse 4, Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. And as soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of the grain and wine, oil and honey, and all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. So a couple of things here in verse five: the people gave uh, so that they could the Levites and the priests devote themselves to the work of the ministry. And notice number one that they gave abundantly. And they notice that they gave abundantly, which tells me that they gave freely. They were wanting to give; they were given freely and willingly, and that's the way that we're supposed to give. And notice here that first of all, in verse five, that they gave the abundance, the first fruits of the grain and wine. What they were to do is give it the first fruits, and that's what the Lord desires for you and to me to give as we give our devotion to Him, as we just live in His love. As we draw close to the Lord and are at awe of his incredible grace and mercy, then the Lord desires for us to give him the first fruits of our lives in our, our service to the Lord, in our giving to the Lord, in our devotion to the Lord. What happens, though, so oftentimes is that the Lord gets the leftovers. And this is a principle I know that the Lord continues to work with me on a daily basis. Jeff, I want the first fruits of your life not the leftovers. I know there are days where, you know, they, they get so interrupted, and, and the attitude of my heart maybe becomes a little bit rotten or whatever. But Lord, I want to give you the first fruits. I want to be consistent in that. I want to do that daily of my time, of my devotion, my service to you, and, and my giving to you. And notice too here, not only the first fruits, but notice the tithe of everything. Now, Numbers chapter 18 commanded this. So this does establish the principle that the tithe belongs to the Lord. And as they were given of that tithe, again, given of the first fruits and also given freely and willingly, and they would give abundantly. And we see the principles in which the Lord wants us to give. Now, sometimes people will say, we're not under the law, you know, and we're not under the law. But as we go to the New Testament, again, as you particularly go into 2 Corinthians Uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, uh, that Paul talks a lot about giving. And he talks about how the Philippian church, the churches of Macedonia, that they were given out of their poverty. They were given out of their affliction. That includes the church at Thessalonica that we're studying. They were a church that wasn't very wealthy. They were a church that was going through persecution. But yet Paul the Apostle talks about how they gave cheerfully and freely and willingly, and they were an example to the churches in Achaia, and also that they were given out of affliction and hardship. They weren't making excuses not to give. And I believe that they were giving because what we're going to see in 1 Thessalonians because they had a deep affection and love for the Lord. So here we see that principle. The people are devoted to the Lord. They've given their hearts to the Lord. And now they're giving abundantly to the Lord. And that's the way that we are to give. And so here, they're given a tithe of everything. It's a principle um, that, that we see in the scriptures. In verse 6, of course, a tithe means a tenth. And the children of Israel and Judah, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought the tithe of oxen and sheep, and also the tithe of holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord their God they laid in heaps. And then in the third month they began laying them in heaps, and they finished on the seventh month, so four months. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his his people Israel. And then Hezekiah questioned the priests and Levites concerning the heaps. So what we see here is the giving was so abundant that it took four months to simply receive all the gifts. And I believe that part of revival is going to include generous giving of his people. When there's revival in your heart, there's going to be generous giving that um, will come from your life. As a church has revival, as a church as we love and the Lord, as we're going in to love the Lord, we should be given as well. And as a church, we tithe. That's a principle that we have done from day one that 10% of everything that comes in goes into a missions account. It is not for paying bills, it's not for paying salaries, it's not for buying equipment, you know, um, supplies, or any of those things. It is to be able to give. And what we are finding is that as we give freely and willingly, we can't outgive God. And it is a blessing to be able to give, to be able to give to ministries, be able to, to bless uh, you know, Christians all over the world to be able to, to bless brothers and sisters that are going through difficulty, whatever the means might be. But we want to be able to freely give as well and find blessing in that just as, as they're giving abundantly. And, And others are being blessed, and the people are being blessed because of it. We continue in verse 11. Now Hezekiah commanded them to prepare rooms in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. And then they faithfully brought the offerings, the tithes, and the dedicated things. Konaniah the Levite had charge of them, and Shimei his brother was the next. And then in verses 13 through 15, it names all these guys that uh, were um, ones that, first of all, Um, were um, preparing the rooms to receive all the tithes and then make sure they got distributed to the priests and the Levites. So remember that when Solomon built the temple, that he built all these side rooms and chambers. So that's uh, what they're doing, this abundant supply for the Levites here so they can continue to do the work of the ministry. And again, it begins with, as we find, uh, first of all, give ourselves to the Lord, and then as we just, uh, out of thanksgiving and expression of love, give to him. And that's what they're doing, the free will offerings to God to distribute the offerings. In verse 16, besides those males from three years old and up, who were written in the genealogy and, and dis, uh, distributed to everyone who entered the house of the Lord, his daily portion for the work of his service, by his division, and to the priests who were written in the genealogy according to their father's house, and to the Levites from twenty years old years up, old and up according to their work by their divisions. And to all who were written in the in the genealogy, their little ones and their wives and their sons and daughters, a whole company of them for their faithfulness, for they sanctified themselves in holiness. And also for the sons of Aaron, the priests, who were in the fields of the common lands of their cities, in every single city there were men who were designated by name to distribute portions to all the males among the priests and to all who were listed by genealogies among the Levites. So not only were they bringing the the, the portions and the, um, the, the tithes to store there at the temple, but then there are those who would take it out to the Levitical cities and they would make sure that the families were being uh, supported and they had their daily portion and uh, they were getting what they needed. And, uh, and that would be quite a chore for these guys to be able to do that. But that's what God had uh, commanded them and prescribed in his word for them. In verse 20, thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah. He did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment to seek his God, he did it with all his heart so he prospered. A couple things here. In verse 20, he did what was good, number one. He did what was right, second of all, and thirdly, what is true. In other words, he did what was good. The Lord was able to look at it and say, this is good. This is good. And second of all, this is right. You know it to be right in the eyes of God. And then thirdly, they did it in truth. Their worship and devotion was to the true God and not something false. Is according to the word, the law of God. So as he did that, he did what was good and right and true. All three of those things go together in our giving to the Lord. What is good? what is right, and what is true, Lord. And as we give in that way, we will prosper as well. In other words, I think that what this chapter shows us and what the scripture shows us is that there is blessing in giving. Do you know that? We don't talk a whole lot about money here at Calvary Chapel. I want you to be able to give freely and willingly, and that's why we don't take a formal offering, that there's offering boxes for you to be able to give. And I don't see what you give individually. I see the total numbers because we have budgets and things that, you know, we need to plan for and the financial planning and all of that that needs to be taken care of. So we need to administrate and use that money wisely. But I pray and hope that as you have a devotion to the Lord, as you're growing in the word of the Lord, that you are given freely and willingly and that you're being blessed as you give And there is blessing in giving, and I don't want you to miss out on that blessing. I don't want you to miss out on it. And show me a man or a woman who loves the Lord, and I'll show you a man or a woman, as I said earlier, that will give to the Lord freely. So grow in your love for the Lord. And I don't want to be up here trying to manipulate you guys in any way. I don't want to be up here with gimmicks. I don't want you to feel guilty. There's too much of that that goes on in the church But I do want to say this that there's blessing. And there's blessing when you give to the Lord, when you give of your time to the Lord, when you give of your service to the Lord, when you give of your tithe to the Lord. That you're going to be blessed tremendously in investing in the kingdom of God. One of the things that Paul said to the church of Philippi, he was thanking them for the support so he could do the work of the ministry. There was times where Paul, the apostle, he worked, you know, making tents to support himself. There are other times that he received a gift and he would receive that gift mostly from the church of Philippi and the churches in Macedonia. And he was able to, for a season, be able to focus on ministry. And he thanked them. And he said that that the giving that you give is going to be, you know, the fruit that comes from the ministry that I'm able to do because you did give is going to be given to your eternal account. Th- what you give in investing in the kingdom of God that you're sending your treasure ahead and storing up your treasure in heaven, as Jesus said. And you're going to receive reward. And there's blessing to others because they are able to hear the gospel. Like, for example, the radio program. The radio program that goes throughout on Grace FM. It's such a tremendous blessing to this community and all around the front range. And we hear testimonies all the time of people that are listening to us. They're growing in the Word of God. We've heard testimonies of people that have given their lives to Jesus Christ. And it's because you guys are giving, and as you give and we're able to do that, then it's going to go on your account. And I know that you give because you want the gospel to go out. You want it to go out throughout the airwaves, all through northern Colorado and along the Front Range, clear down into Colorado Springs. As you give and we're able to help others and minister to others. And and for me to be able to be here and study the word of God, to be able to, to, to minister full time, it's a blessing for me. And I thank you for that. But I pray that you would know that it's a blessing to others. And as I look back at 2013, what the Lord has done here at Calvary Chapel, it's a wonderful thing. How new families are coming, and they're growing, and they're discovering the Word of God. People giving their lives to Jesus Christ, you know, at the invitations that we give at the services. And and we're a light and a blessing to those in this community that we're able to minister to. So giving to the kingdom of God and giving to the Lord is very much of a blessing, uh, and we don't want to miss out on that. And we want to be able to to be able to, to use it wisely and for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. So that's what they were doing. So the priests and the Levites were provided for. In chapter 32, then after these deeds of faithfulness, so here we see after the deeds of faithfulness. So Hezekiah was faithful in being a blessing and bringing spiritual reform and revival to the land. He was faithful to the Lord. I know that, that I want it to be said of me, That after these deeds of faithfulness, at the end of my life, after the faithfulness displayed in our lives, that's what we want to be able to say, all of us. Lord, I just want to be faithful to you and loyal to you. So after these deeds of faithfulness, Shanacharib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah, and he camped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. So we see that even though Hezekiah was one that he did what was Good and right and true. And he gave with his heart, the end of verse 21. He did it with his heart, the way that we are to give, the way we give our devotion to the Lord, uh, the way that uh, we give to the Lord. Um, We do it with our hearts. We're faithful to the Lord. We have a loyal heart. It does not exclude us from difficulty. And that's what Hezekiah is going to experience here trials and difficulties. And we know that um, even as we've been talking on Sunday mornings, that here was a young church, Thessalonica, going through the trials and difficulties. So we've been talking a lot about that. And I know that I've mentioned that James in his epistle writes in chapter 1 that count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, or that is endurance. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, or that is mature and complete. So we can count it all joy when we go through various trials because God is working. Isn't he? And just as we talked about on Sunday that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we have this treasure in earth and earthen vessel so that the power of God be, may be manifested that he is glorified and not us. That the power of God may be of him and he gets the glory working through us and the brokenness of our lives and the difficulties that we go through it. His glory and His light and His love that comes from us, earthen vessels. Because we know that the testing of your faith produces patience, endurance. And as we go through that endurance, it has its perfect work in that it makes us more mature in Him. The Lord is interested in our maturity and bringing us to completeness. So Hezekiah here is going through that. So here is the Assyrians, already taking the ten northern tribes off into captivity. They are at the height of their power and 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 you know uh, pomp and and they're just taking over the nations and the cities. They're already coming into Judah. And if you take this account and compare it to what Second Kings has to say, that thirty-five cities of Judah have already fallen to the Assyrians. There's pretty much just a little, you know, a bit more for the Assyrians to conquer in Jerusalem. So here they're waking, making their way towards Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. And we know that something interesting happens at first as the Assyrians are coming. 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 13 through 16. What happens is that Hezekiah unsuccessfully tried to pay off Assyria with gold and silver from the temple. Ahaz did that, didn't he? Ahaz, when Syria and Israel was coming against him and wanting to kill him and put up their own king, what did, what, what did Ahaz do? Ahaz, he wouldn't listen to the words of Isaiah. He wouldn't listen to the word of the Lord saying that, you know, this attack isn't going to happen, Ahaz. But what he did was he came up with his own plan. And he also took money, and, and the gold and silver out of the temple, some of it, and he paid off the king of Assyria. At that time it was Tiklaf palazer Hey, uh, he paid him off, tried to make a peace treaty with him, paid tribute to him, but it was the king of Assyria that took the money, the gold and the silver, and he kept making his way towards Judah. He didn't pay any attention to Ahaz. And Hezekiah should have learned from that. That you don't make a peace treaty with the enemy. You don't try to pay off the enemy. And you and I can learn from that as well. Listen. When we go through difficulties and the world is crashing down on us or difficulty is surrounding us, the tendency can be to make a peace treaty with the world, to compromise with the world. Instead, what we need to do is we need to trust in the Lord. Don't compromise under the pressures and difficulties. But you stand on the Lord, His promises. You trust in Him. And we're going to see that's what Hezekiah will now do. Don't try to compromise, make a peace treaty with the enemy Satan because he'll take the goods and he's going to keep coming at you to destroy you and make your life miserable. So you keep looking to the Lord and that's what Hezekiah is going to begin to do. As we read in verse two, and then Hezekiah saw that Shenacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem. He consulted with his leaders and the commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped them. And thus many people gathered together, who stopped all the springs and the, uh, and the brook that ran through the land, saying, "Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water?" And he strengthened himself, built up the wall that was broken, raised up uh, to the towers and uh, and built another wall outside. Also he repaired the Milo at the city of David and made weapons and shields in abundance. Verse 6 He set military captains over the people, gathered them together to, in him in the open square of the city gate, and gave them encouragement, saying, Be strong and courageous, and do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him, and with him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us in the fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. When the enemy attacks, such as the Assyrians here, what they would do is they would siege the city. They would surround the city. We know that Shanacharib here is going to come with at least 185,000 soldiers. That's a lot of men. And so the ancient cities, Jerusalem, what they would do is they would lock the gates and they had the walls around them and so the Assyrians would be on the outside and they would wait and they would wait. In the city would be food that they would supply but the Assyrians would try to starve the people out. They could make the process quicker if they could get to the water supply. So here is Hezekiah he realizes that, hey, Three days without water, you know, we're in in a big hurt. And so what he did was there was the water sources, as we learn here, that were outside of the city walls of Jerusalem. There was the Gihon Spring up in the north in the Kidron Valley. And then on the south side of Jerusalem, there was the Pool of Siloam. The Pool of Siloam, which, of course, Jesus would send the blind man to in John chapter 9. Go Washing the Pool of Siloam. So those were the two main water sources, those springs, and they were outside the city walls. So here's Hezekiah. He makes a wise decision. We need to stop up the springs, and we need to divert the flow into the city somehow, and we don't want the Assyrians to have the water because 185,000 soldiers need a lot of water, don't they? So here they were wanting to get the water, and he is going to diverted in verse 30 i'll just read it to you the same hezekiah also stopped the water outlet at the upper gihon brought the water by tunnel to the west side of the city of david so what happened was and we know this because they have found hezekiah's tunnel and what they did is at gihon spring one end a group of men started digging in the bedrock and the pool of siloam on the southern end a group of men began to dig and they dig for 1777 feet and guess what they met in the middle an incredible engineering feat for that day. Didn't have surveying, didn't have you know, any of those things. And so the water would divert down into the tunnel and flow into the city of Jerusalem. And the Assyrians were the ones that were out of water. And today you can go and you can walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. Some of you have done that from this fellowship as we've gone to Israel on our study tours. You've actually walked through that tunnel that here was built 2,700 years ago. But I want us to remember something tonight. It would be the Assyrians that would be the ones without the water supply, and it would be difficult for them. Will you remember this? When you feel like that you're being attacked by others particularly, or just going through the difficulties or the enemies attacking you, will you realize this, that you have the water? They had the water literally, but you have the water of the Word. And they don't. And that's why it's very, very important that you remember that when you go through the trials and hard times, and when you go through the times where whatever it is that's surrounding you and seizing you and holding you in captivity, whatever it might be, that you have the water of the word. Jesus said, you're clean by the water that I've given to you. Paul says, washing with the water of the word. You have the water of the word. Jesus said, come and drink of me. He said, come and eat and drink of me, and you'll never hunger and thirst again. You have the Lord. You have the Lord. And you have his promises and his word given to you. Go back and be refreshed and renewed. As you go through the word of God, as the word speaks to your heart and brings comfort and instruction and clarity and understanding to you. It was the Assyrians that are going to have a hard time because they're not having any of the water. And it's the people inside of Jerusalem that are going to be able to take of the water. You have the Lord. The people on the outside of the world, they don't have the spiritual water to truly refresh them and help them, living water, but you do. So remember that. So Hezekiah would fortify the city and build up the walls and and the Assyrians, man, they were brutal. They were the first ones to use battering rams, and, and they would build ramps to uh, scale the city walls. And uh, Interesting, you can go through the old city of Jerusalem, and archaeologists found part of the wall that Hezekiah built that was seven meters thick. And the reason was they built it that thick is because of the battering rams. It would, would stand that. So Hezekiah did all that he could do. And then in verses 7 and 8 that we read, he committed the rest to the Lord. And it's a principle that we see throughout the Scripture. It's a principle that should be worked out in our lives. He would first of all encourage the people. He said, be strong and courageous. And of course, we've talked about that before, haven't we? That all throughout Scripture, we're told to be strong and courageous. First of all, be strong in the Lord. Be strong as you're walking with the Lord and living for Him and trusting in Him. Be strong, and then as you're strong, you're going to be able to be courageous. And so be strong and courageous as you look to Him. And then there is that reminder, as He says here in verse 7, there are more with us than with Him. They had 185,000 soldiers. And here is Hezekiah saying, there's more with us than there are with Him. (laughs) It's true with you. And you might feel like you're all alone. And you might feel like that nobody's there to help you, but the Lord is there. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world coming against you. And it reminds me so much of Elijah. Remember him? who was ministering in Israel in Second Kings chapter 6 that here was the Syrians that surrounded Elijah's house. All these Syrian chariots and horses. And Elijah's... You know, servant got up in the morning and he went outside, I don't know, to get the newspaper or whatever. And he looks up and he sees all these Syrian chariots and horses and he runs back in the house and he's full of fear and he's terrified. And it was Elijah that said, Oh Lord, just open his eyes that he may see. And don't fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And all of a sudden the servant's eyes, his spiritual eyes, are opened up and all these fiery chariots and horses are all around the Syrian army. Elijah, he could see spiritually. You see, we need to have our spiritual eyes open up and remember that greater is he that is with us than he that is in the world. In the times of difficulties. Verse 8, thirdly, With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord, our God. No human fleshly attack is stronger than our God. Always remember that. to help us fight our battles. The Lord can work in any situation or difficulty that you find yourself in. And then fourthly, the people were strengthened at the words of Hezekiah. And we can receive strength and be strengthened. As we just remember that the Lord is with us, that we can drink of Him, come to Him. Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. And He's the one that will make us strong and courageous. And we trust and believe in the true and the living God. He's on our side. And no weapon formed against us will what? Will prosper. Amen. Father, we thank You that the promises are given to us in Scripture. And as we stop here, Lord, we see that, once again, your faithfulness is shown to us. And, Lord, your goodness. And, Father, I thank you for this night that we can end on this this note on Wednesday night. Just being reminded how we can give ourselves to you. And, Lord, and out of that love that we have for you, that we give freely and abundantly, And Lord, we think about how you loved us so much that you gave your son when you didn't have to. And in the fullness of time, he came. And a week from now, we're going to be celebrating the birth of Jesus. And I really pray for us in this room that that would really be the focus and the priority in the joy and the gladness in the last days before Christmas. We got things to do, people to see, but Lord, may truly we keep you the priority and the reason for the season, the birth of your son, the giving of your son, and just be at awe. Lord, my prayer, if, if there is anybody here That you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. That's why He came. He came because He is our hope. He came because He came to save sinners, and that's us. And Jesus would later go outside of the city walls of Jerusalem and would die on a cross for our sins. We proclaim the gospel, the good news, that Jesus came and died for the sins of humanity, for you particularly. If anybody is here tonight or listening to this message, that he is the Savior of the world, the Son of God, that came to save you and to forgive you. It means that you confess that you are a sinner. And that Jesus died for your sins and you come freely and willingly and you give of your heart and you surrender to Him. And the Bible says that if you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can pray with your heart as you surrender right now and turn to Jesus. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. You are the Son of God who died for me and you rose from the grave. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I surrender my life to you and Lord, my life is not my own. Thank you for dying for me and forgiving me and for the promise of eternal life and help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And Lord, what I pray is perhaps we need just a spiritual revival in our own hearts right now. It's maybe perhaps we're we're tired or frustrated or, Lord, just feeling down right now with the holidays, maybe been sick, whatever it might be. Lord, if we need an extra measure of comfort, anyone here that you would give that right now. Or an extra measure of faith. Or an extra measure of love. Lord, of instruction and guidance. Of wisdom. Lord, that you would just pour that on your people right now. Of assurance. Of peace. Of joy. Of gladness of heart. And Lord, because of our devotion to you, that we would give to you freely and willingly. So bless everyone here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.